0: You're listening to Nick Treadwell's Storyville. Reclaiming the Past Through the Imagination An Appreciation of The Home Child by Liz Berry, published by Chattu and Windus, 2023. It was 2am in the morning when I read the final lines of Liz Berry's new book, The Home Child. A few hours earlier, with the house quiet and the world bedding down for the night, I sat down to read her new collection of poetry. In those silent early hours, a voice that had never been recorded spoke through the pages of enchanted imagination, a heartfelt story of displacement, homesickness and of rediscovery. I didn't know it, but in the reading a spell had been cast, one that would not let me lose my grip on the book until I'd reached the very last word of the final page. Over the last few years, I've become an admirer of Lizzie's poetical output, starting with her forward prize-winning first collection, Black Country, from 2014, a gushing love letter in verse steeped in the soot, soul and steam of the once heavily industrialised region of the West Midlands where she grew up. Its pages buzz and fizz with the distinctive dialect still heard in the region's streets, stories set down by the cut, soundtracked by the clank, of factories heated by furnaces and fed by Boston fiddle, tales from Tipton, Gosty Hill, Bilston, Wren's Nest, and Dudley, of Birmingham's tumbling, high rolling pigeons, and of finding a home in words that roll like sweets around a child's mouth. I wanted to forge your voice in my mouth, a blacksmith's furnace. Shout it from the roofs, send your words like pigeons fluttering for home. From Homing, Black Country The poems in the 2018 pamphlet, The Republic of Motherhood, speak with raw emotion about the trials of childbirth and the challenges that come after. These are soul-bearing reads that take the reader right into the heart of the matter. The title poem is a warts-and-all hymn that every mother should find solace in. It tells of the repetition, the tiredness and fear that every new mother must face. I lay down in motherhood's bed, the bed I had made, but could not sleep in, for I was called at once to work in the factory of motherhood, the owl shift, the graveyard shift. From the Republic of Motherhood in 2022, Liz teamed up with the photographer Tom Hicks for the pocketbook, The Dereliction, a collection of images and poems highlighting those in-between places found in the black country, patches of scrub ground found beside dilapidated factories where multicoloured swirls of graffiti are reflected along the canal side, where names are etched into concrete bricks, the places you often walk past and take little notice of. Drawing on Tom's frozen images, Liz builds a series of beautiful lyrical poems. Each single, every single one holds a charge, a memory, imagined or real, ingrained in the details captured by the lens. Poems about a greasy cafe called Yam Yam's Diner, or a boy lost to the depths of the cut, the ghost of a mother's lost daughter. About barges and iron osses, Liz conjures up the smells, tastes and sights of the place that have now been reclaimed by nature. Love me like that pub on Dark House Lane, sweetheart of wet the beds and creeping rot. Love me like I have no windows, no doors, just wild blue streaming through, unarrested from the dereliction published by Hercules Editions. In her new work, The Home Child, it's no surprise that we still find ourselves rooted in the black country, though not for long. The book was inspired by family stories passed down about Lizzie's great-aunt, Eliza Shawl, who, in 1908, aged 12, newly orphaned, found herself being uprooted from Middlemore Children's Emigration Home in Birmingham to the vast sprawling landscape of Nova Scotia. Eliza was just one of thousands of children that made a similar journey to Canada between 1860 and 1960. These were known as home children. Some were orphaned or struck by illness, but most were from poverty-stricken families that could no longer care for them. They were given the promise of a new life far away. But in reality, however, the majority lost contact with any family they had, were put to work to earn their keep and invariably suffered mistreatment and abuse at the hands of the families they were placed with. Due to scant records, Eliza's life beyond the children's home in Birmingham is unknown, so Liz drew on letters, interviews and books written by home children and their families for inspiration. Coupled with this, she used her own imagination in order to give an authentic voice to Eliza. By way of a sequence of poems, the book tells Eliza's story as she is taken from her home in the black country to a new life in Nova Scotia. It begins with an image of a girl standing at the window of a children's home in 1907, innocently watching snowfall. We learn that her hair is as russet as a young fox, a hint perhaps of her somewhat wild, untamed temperament. I found that when I began to read these snapshots of Eliza's life, that each poem conjured up a scene in my mind that propelled the story forward. The opening scene flickered into life in my mind's eye, like the opening of a dark fairy tale, the camera slowly zooming in on a barred window as snow falls across the screen. A girl stands behind the window, mouthing something to us, though we cannot hear what she tells us from the outside. What is she saying? She beckons to us to come closer, so that we may learn more of her story. We are soon given a sense of place, of furnaces that bring day to night, the smell of sulphur in the air and the clanking of heavy industry, where men toil. Our human form transforms into that of a moth, often associated with spirits of the dead and rebirth. Eliza lies curled against her mother, dreaming that she is riding a mare to the edge of town, to escape the steelworks, the chapel and the workhouse. One of the things I noticed whilst reading the book is that Liz uses Eliza's love for the simple earthly things of nature and the creatures that occupy it, namely wildflowers, trees, meadows, holes, burrows, birds and butterflies etc. as a descriptive, transformative tool in the poems to give the children an identity rooted in their sometimes dire circumstances. So Eliza becomes queen of all wet-the-beds and dander, queen of dung beetles and dog violets, little queen of fiery holes and queen of all creeping souls. She compares the back-to-back courtyards as cram like a burrow. After admission to the children's home, she tells sparrows flitting through my lungs. In the dormitory at night, a garden of girls is blooming, the hum in their hearts like bees. On the day she sails from England, the gulls am crying like little wenches her hair is cut as a field of stubble after harvest, the chaff blown. Despite the poor conditions many children found themselves in during this time in history, they still found adventure and excitement in their environment. For Eliza and her friends, it would have been playing games like hide-and-seek in the streets and alleyways, finding patches of scrub ground to ride bikes or play football. The canal side especially would have provided a fertile place for play, and this would have grown an Appreciation for flora and fauna including their nicknames and uses something that today's children severely lack and perhaps something that would be beneficial to reacquaint themselves with we get the impression though that Eliza is tuned into something more there is magic in the air in some of Liz's beautiful turns of phrase A kind of secret language of nature that has been lost, maybe old wives tales and things passed down from older grandparents, even in the simplest naming of types of dandelion, blowball, clock flower, queen's crown and fortune teller, conjure something enchanting from deep within the earth. She seems able to read the signs, the pigeon's warning, the dandelions blown by the wind-like seeds could be interpreted as foretellings of change, of her mother's death. Throughout the book, Liz employs a variety of poetical forms – There are deeply moving prose poems, such as Sparrows, where Eliza dreams of the streets of her home, the silver ribbon of the cut, the hands of her mother fluttering up like little sparrows, or "Snow Globe," a powerful, evocative piece of writing which utterly captivated me. It reads like a page from a novel, a little movie within a movie, noting the changes that come with Eliza's first long Canadian winter. Scotch pines are flurried like great bears, speckle-bellied fish motionless in the stream. Everything is wiped away. No matter how we shake, the snow will still fall. It is happening still. The snow falls as if it will never stop falling. Somewhere, somewhere we choose not to look. There are list poems, an inventory of items from Eliza's travelling case, the daily chores she must complete, or simply and effectively a list of children's names, a kind of long-lost register that is recalled, as if saying those names out loud will break a spell. Anaphora, the repetition of words, is also used many times, for example in two pieces that announce the coming of Eliza and the boy who will arrive later which reminded me of the gossipy Chinese whispers of children when they get the word that something is about to happen. There's also inspired use of repetition in the poem Wolfville towards the end of the story. To my ears, this had the ring of an old folk song, but sung by a chorus of children, a cautionary tale to discourage the losing of your head and heart. Sparrows seem to feature prominently during the course of the story and I wonder at their significance. Of course the obvious is flight. Eliza is uprooted from everything she ever knew, flown across to the other side of the ocean without choice and the interesting fact about sparrows is that they don't migrate, in fact they usually stay within a mile or so of their own birthplace which may be the reason Eliza sees them in her dreams of home. Sparrows are also a common bird, not distinctively coloured or particularly attractive, and they don't stand out. Though they are sturdy and tough, much like Eliza has to become in the story, and they are also known to be extremely adaptable birds who can live in a range of very different environments. Loss and grief also go hand in hand with Eliza's story but they are handled tenderly and sensitively as demonstrated in the poem The Old Words, a wonderful evocation of Eliza's home and mother through the sounds of those words that are written through her like seaside towns through a stick of rock. The shape of them in her mouth comes like muscle memory, words that haunt between the time of waking and sleep when the spirit seeks clues of itself. Words that become us and we them. Remembering them, re-saying them, recognising them all over again keeps that bridge to the past alive and open. It's in these old black country dialect words that she finds her identity. Words like WUM, which means simply home, the word that Eliza gives when asked where she is from when she first arrives in Nova Scotia. It's a warm, womb-like quality to it, somewhere to nest in, that is safe, to hide from the world. I discovered that apparently a lot of the old black country words originate in either Early Middle English or even Old Germanic where Wum is short for Wollum, William, the German name Wilhelm. Will meaning desire and Helm meaning protection. So perhaps Wum does have some etymological links to the desire for somewhere to shelter from, to find refuge in. Despite the sadness of the situation she finds herself in, Eliza does find an emotional bond, albeit with a baby foal perhaps reminding her of the working horses that she would see along the canal side of the black country. Maybe she wants to mother and protect it, but the foal is a soft creature Eliza finds herself wrapped up in. It is where she is able to lose herself from the bitter cold of the place and its inhabitants. Another bond which forms, though out of need to begin with, is Eliza's relationship with the farmer's wife, Socky, a ghostly figure who we learn is weak as a lamb, laid up in bed. It's almost like Eliza's role has been reversed from that of a daughter back in Bilston. She becomes the mother figure having to wash Sookie, warm her milk in a baby's tin cup and tend to her needs between all the other duties and tasks that she has to do. At first Socky's response to Eliza is brash and cold but later we discover that she's opening up and telling her about her childhood. She even has Eliza read to her like a parent would read to a child. Eliza's harsh life of service and drudgery is broken suddenly one day when another home child, a boy called Daniel, arrives at the farm. He's run away from the beatings of his last placement and the two eventually find a place of love in each other. There are some beautiful expressions of blossoming love in the poems Eliza's written for them. Meeting secretly for the first time, he presents her with the simplest thing, a leaf, known as a lamb's ear, which has a fine coating of hairs, making it soft to the touch. Eliza, who has been bereft of such tender sentiments for so long, is reduced to tears by its softness. Later, in a delicate exchange, she tells Daniel her real name isn't Lizzie, as she's known on the farm. He responds, ''It's so soft.'' like mizzle kissing my eyelids. She's transformed into the foal, and his gentle touch warms her heart and lifts her spirit. What tenderness is this? What lonely love? Shut the stable doors and let them lie until cock crow, safe and chast in their bride bed of straw and wild grasses, the Paris lantern keeping watch like a fretful new mother. Mice singing their songs of sowing and harvest from In the Stable. In the final piece from the collection, Eliza is looking back on that moment in her life, remembering the boy whom she loved. She tells how his hair felt, his freckles, how he was beaten in the receiving home. She describes his face, his laugh, that he could hardly read or write, that he cried in his sleep, worked in all weathers and wasn't allowed a doctor when he got ill, how she felt when he held her. In this exquisite reminiscing, Eliza is keeping him alive in her heart. And in the same way, Liz Berry, by writing this stunning, beautiful book, is honouring the memory of her great aunt and giving a voice to all the other home children who found themselves far away from everything that was ever familiar to them. I think anyone who reads the book will find themselves equally as engaged as I have been, even though I know it's mostly a work of fiction. I came away feeling that I was right there with Eliza. I don't quite know how Elizabeth has achieved this level of connectedness, but I think it may have something to do with the tapping into those deep-seated moments that make us who we are. There are many memorable phrases and lyrical lines that stayed with me long after reading those moments that we all have when everything else stops and we're able to see our place in the world, the path we have taken and the paths that are open to us. Liz has expertly set these moments in poetry, leading us on a direct path to Eliza's heart. Liz has managed to absorb the historical archives of reports detailing the history of what happened to these children, and then to reimagine that that history, the terrible circumstances they found themselves in. In Eliza's character, she has captured the loss, grief and loneliness those children must have felt. Children who were let down by the government, abandoned, ripped from their homes they knew and loved, and left in the care of those who were unvetted. When you hold this book, you can fully appreciate the love and compassion that has gone into it, not to mention the time and energy. It's been designed to be a physical object, to be enjoyed, returned to. Right from the front cover illustration, which encapsulates a dandelion, Eliza, wrapped in a red ribbon, the gift given to her by Daniel, against a full moon that birds encircle. The book is divided into sections with illustrations of wildlife, flowers, creatures that inhabit Eliza's world. At the back of the book, a little glossary of black country words and a bibliography of books about home children should you wish to investigate further. It's a book I'll be coming back to and rediscovering time and time again. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nick Treadwell's Storyville. Please subscribe if you liked what you heard. And be sure to check out my Substack blog, Letters from Storyville, at nicktreadwell.substack.com.